Welcome to the CanMed Coffee Talk podcast, where we talk with the leading minds in cannabis science, medicine, cultivation, and safety testing. I am your host, Ben Amaralt. I'm the marketing manager at Medicinal Genomics, a proud member of the team that puts on the CanMed conference. First off, I do apologize for the lack of quality in the video here, if you're watching us. I'm actually on the road at a conference, so I'm in a hotel room with my fake background here. Um, I hope it's not too much of a distraction. It's only going to be for this intro and for the outro. The actual interview is going to be the same quality that you know and love, but wanted to acknowledge it right off the top. Okay, just a few reminders before I introduce this week's guest. If you're listening to this episode on the day it's released, then I'd like to remind you that the early bird deadline for the CanMed 24 Innovation and Investment Summit is this Friday, December 1st. Yes, Friday, December 1st is the last day you can purchase your CanMed 24 ticket at the lowest price available. You will save $300 off our full summit package, which includes access to the medical practicum, industry workshops, oral presentations, poster presentations, networking events, meals, and a three-night stay at the JW Marriott Marco Island Resort with all the associated amenities. Head over to canmedevents.com now to register, and I hope to see you in Florida this May. Also, our CanMed Advisory Board is reviewing the abstract submissions we received for oral and poster presentations, and we hope to be announcing some presenters very soon. You may have already seen that we announced that the Capital Markets Workshop will return for CanMed 24, led by Golden Eagle Partners. And we are also going to have a special nursing panel on Sunday, May 13th. You can learn more about both of those sessions at canmedevents.com. And while you're there, be sure to sign up for email alerts so you can get those announcements right to your inbox. My guest today is Dr. Carla Gage. Carla is Assistant Professor of Weed Science and Plant Biology at Southern Illinois University, Carbondale where she received her PhD in plant biology with a focus in weed ecology in 2013. In short, Carla is a weed expert, but not in the weed that you smoke, but rather the weeds that you pull. Her research focuses on using integrated weed management to control and suppress weeds in Midwestern US rotational crops, including corn, soybean, wheat, and now hemp. During our conversation, we discussed what negative effects weeds can have on hemp, which weed species are threatening to hemp, herbicides that are approved for hemp and the threat of herbicide resistance, integrated weed management strategies such as crop rotation, cover crops, chaff lining, plastic coverings, and more, and how feral hemp varieties may have traits to help breed for more resistant hemp varieties. Before we get to my conversation with Carla, I'd like to thank this episode's sponsor, Rare Earth Genomics. Rare Earth Genomics Texas is a partnership formed to accelerate hemp research and produce critical tools for the farmer. REG's mission is to increase the likelihood of a successful harvest through genetic analysis and rigorous environmental testing of vigorous cultivars. Reliable data sets, analytic tools, and stable germplasm are core to the program. Success for the farmer is the goal. You can learn more at rareearthgenomics.com. 
Okay. And without any further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Dr. Carla Gage. Good afternoon, Carla. Thanks so much for joining us on the podcast. Hi, good afternoon. Yeah, it's such a pleasure to be here to talk with you today. Yeah, I'm excited to talk with you today about weed control in outdoor hemp. Now, we've covered other plant pathogens on the podcast before, hoplatin viroid, powdery mildew, pythium, botrytis, all those things, and even got into pests before with russet mites, spider mites, etc. but never weeds. So this will be interesting. Um, I suspect that's because so much of cannabis cultivation occurs indoors, but I know that the majority of hemp cultivation is outdoors. And after all, hemp and cannabis are the same plant for all intents and purposes. So it'd be fun to dive into this. So let's start with the basics. What are the negative effects that weeds can have on hemp? Yeah, well, with any crop, right? Uh, weeds can directly compete by uh, taking resources that the crop needs, uh, resources like uh, nutrients, uh, water, space. Um, so there's that direct form of competition, but there are also other indirect things that happen. Um, for example, um, cannabis can exude some biochemical substances that can interfere with the growth of other plants, potentially. Uh, that's something that my lab has been looking at. But weeds do the same thing, right? So a weed that's competing with a crop plant may be releasing biochemical compounds or having other effects on that plant that are beyond just the direct competition for nutrients. Right. And now I know that hemp can be grown for all different sorts of things, fiber, um, grain, seed, um, and of course, cannabinoid-rich flour. So are there different considerations there for how weeds can affect the crop for what the crop will be used for. Yeah, so it's pretty amazing to look at all the different um, crop morphologies, meaning that if you're growing for each of those different commodities, the crop that you're growing is, is going to probably look different. Uh, for example, if I'm growing a fiber crop, that plant has been bred over time to grow uh, directly upright, to not branch very much. Uh, and it's planted very densely together in the field. So for, for weed competition, that would be a very competitive crop. And if it gets established, there should be relatively few weeds coming up below that crop canopy. And you can contrast that with how um, dual purpose uh, crops are grown. So those would be crops that you would harvest for both seed and fiber potentially. And those are typically shorter plants. They're a little bit more branchy and uh, they're spaced out more in the field, so there's more potential for weed competition below that crop canopy. And then, of course, the most sensitive type of cultivation to, to weed competition would be the CBD floral biotype, where, you know, those plants, they are branchy, you know, they are, uh, they do take up a lot of space as they grow, but they're planted at um, a pretty good distance from one another. And then you have to do some weed control around them, whether that's, you know, uh, black plastic mulch or other organic mulches. Uh, there has to be some other type of weed control tactic because the crop itself is not going to suppress weeds as well. So, yeah, depending on what commodity type you're growing, the, the weed control problems are or can be dramatically different. Yeah. And are there any 
sort of numbers around like weeds can affect your your yield by x percent yeah so actually that is such a fascinating question and that is uh really one of the things we're trying to determine with our research uh in 2019 there was a, a publication that came out it was uh, basically a review of, of all the global literature looking at hemp cultivation and, uh, and of, the pub of the publications that were reviewed, uh, weeds were either neglected, not even mentioned in the publications, or they were mentioned as inconsequential to the yield. So that brings up a, a, a really good question, right? I mean, we, we know that this should be a competitive crop. Hemp is, uh, is a nitrophilus species, meaning it should be able to, um, you know, uh, accumulate nitrogen and use nitrogen very efficiently and uh, could probably outcompete a lot of other plants. But um, the key seems to be uh, getting it established because even in our own research, we have seen a, a good number of crop failures when the weeds come up before the hemp or at the same time as the hemp. And, uh, and, and then you know, a lot of times we don't even get a, a good hemp stand. You know, we see the weeds and not the hemp. So we know that competition is a problem, yet um, the effects have been inconclusive. And one of the things that my lab has been working on, um, we do have some uh, some funding from the USDA as part of a, a larger multi-state project. And uh, we've been looking at uh, at what is the called the critical weed-free period in hemp. And, and all crops have this uh, sort of theoretical concept where, you know, if you can control the weeds during so many weeks initially as the crop gets established, then you can maintain, uh, you know, reasonable yields by the end of the season. So there's this critical period when uh, plants are, are more sensitive to competition and you have to, to really take care of the weeds during that period of time. Well, we were looking at this and uh, there were students in my lab that were weeding, hand weeding our hemp plots uh, at different intervals throughout the season. So some of the plots were not weeded at all. You know, we planted the hemp and, and walked away basically. And then uh, there was a, there was a treatment that was only weeded for a week and then two weeks and three weeks and so on. And there was one treatment that was weeded for the entire season. Um, so we were all a little surprised when we did a preliminary analysis of the data and we found that statistically there was no difference whether or not we, we didn't weed the plants at all or whether we weeded for 87 days, which was the entire season. Wow. So, uh, exactly. That's <laughs> that's what we thought as well. Um, we could see a little bit of evidence for um, heavy grass competition. So we could see that the plots were had where there was a lot of grass uh, competing around. Um, those were our 14 day weed weed treatments, but but we could see a, a hit in the overall biomass uh, with some of the competition. But it was just amazing that statistically there was no difference. So, so we're now in our second year of that study and we'll be um, doing a more um, detailed data analysis. And we'll be looking at all the different yield components because that was just a rough look at overall biomass of uh, fiber and dual purpose crops. So, um, so yeah, it's, it seems like um, it's one of those crops where if it gets a head start, it's it's fairly competitive. Interesting. Yeah. So timing is everything. Yeah, it is. It is. No, but so <laughs> just want to make sure I heard that correctly. So <laughs> the amount that you weeded, whether you did none at all or you weeded throughout the whole thing, it did it didn't have an effect on the 
overall yield at the end? It didn't. On the overall biomass that was produced, not looking at quality of fiber or oh. amount of seed yield. So just overall plant biomass. Now, there may be differences for each of those components, right? Because plants will, uh, in it, that's it's an investment strategy, right? So um, they may have been investing in growth and in structure and putting less into seed production, for example. So uh, now that we have two years of data, I, I hope that we're able to sort of tease apart any any of those differences. But um, and and now we do have, of course, we have a, a pre-emergence herbicide that's labeled as well. So if uh, if farmers want to grow hemp now, there's there's more um, uh, more tools available uh, to give the hemp a head start. Okay, so that was going to be one of my questions. Are there approved herbicides for hemp? Uh, this is recent. Yeah. So there is now a pre-emergence herbicide that would do hopefully um, what we're talking about and, and give the hemp the head start that it needs for successful production. Um, it's it's not, um, it, it, there are going to be some challenges for the weeds in our geography. Not all of the problem weeds are, are going to be well controlled by this herbicide, but it's more than we had before. Um, so for farmers that are um, you know, accustomed to growing corn and soybeans in herbicide managed systems. Uh, the, the goal would be to see this as another crop potentially in rotation with those crops. Uh, one of the reasons that we have so much herbicide resistance besides just the, the sheer amount of herbicides that we use, um, it, it's because we have very simplified rotations in our agricultural systems. Mm. So if we could put more crops in rotation with corn and, and soybeans, then our pest management challenges would, would change and we wouldn't have um, such dominant weeds, theoretically. Right. Okay. So a few things I want to make sure that I, that I touch on with that question. So the first one you said, Dio, it was specific to your geography. So are there regional considerations here for, for weed control in hemp? Yes, there are. Um, you know, some species are not uh, uniformly distributed across the United States. There are certain geographies that have uh, different problems. Um, I think across most of the, the Midwestern uh, cropping region, the amaranthus species are a problem. If you're familiar with amaranthus seed, it's, it's basically, they're plants in the same genus as that food crop that have become dominant agricultural weeds. And they've evolved resistances to multiple herbicides that have become a critical part of our crop production systems. So um, as they evolve very quickly, we're losing some of the herbicide tools that our farmers have relied upon. And uh, and something there's something very special about those weeds. So those amaranthus weeds are dioecious, meaning that there are males and there are females, and they have to cross pollinate to produce seeds. And those are the only species in our system that are what we call driver weeds that um, that are evolving herbicide resistance so quickly. So the genetic exchange between mm. those plants is in a sense driving evolution and genetic variation. And uh, and of course, the, the plant that we're introducing into the system, you know, this is our first dioecious plant as far as I've worked with that is a crop species now. And does that bring with it other uh, challenges? Well, potentially, right? Because uh, hemp is the, uh, it's, it's the original weed, 
right? Um, <laughs> right. Hence so, the name, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, you know, we have in Illinois uh, victory hemp left over from World War II era that still grows in the ditch banks and roadsides around agricultural fields. Uh, so it still, it still exists. It still is persistent. So um, that's another, uh, another research question. In the fields where we're growing hemp for a crop, you know, uh, we're going to have to manage those volunteers as we rotate into other crops. So how, how easy is that going to continue to be? Are we, are we going to be able to continue to manage hemp, which is very susceptible right now to the herbicides that we use? So right now, yes. Yeah, and I'm I'm glad you kind of brought up the the ditch weed that um, mm -hmm. is still out there. Is that and is that a weed for all intents and purposes for if you're growing hemp? Could that potentially be an issue? Um, well, it depends, right? If you're growing floral uh, CBD hemp, then yes, <laughs> that is an issue for you and your product quality um, and potentially for uh, for other crops as well. But I think more importantly, it's it's um, it's important to consider that as a reservoir for very important genetic traits that might be useful for future crop production. Mm. Those plants have existed for uh, you know decades successfully in these areas. They are tolerant to the environmental conditions that they're being exposed to and to the ecological interactions. So, so that shouldn't be dismissed. Um, I don't think they should be devalued. I think that in the future they could have a very real. Um, <laughs> A very a very real um contribution to future breeding programs that's a, well that's actually very interesting um i don't know if, you, if you're aware but here at medicinal genomics we do um sequencing on cannabis varieties hemp varieties things like that to help breeders kind of identify these traits i don't think we've ever had any um ditch weed or any of that that we've actually sequenced i know we have some land race strains that are kind of from other parts of the other parts of the world, but I don't know if we have any that are um, that are native to the United States. That would be that'd be really interesting. I'm gonna I'm gonna bring that up to the CSO right after this. Yeah, yeah, that would be. Um, you know, in Southern Illinois, we have a very heavy soil type, and uh, we find that it interacts with our heavy spring rainfalls. So there's a there's a period during the initial part of the season where you know, we do have ponding in our soils and, you know, it's, it's really difficult for the early planted hemp crop to survive mm -hmm. because it's, it's not very tolerant to, um, you know, water logging. So uh, that's where, you know, maybe there is, uh, there's that trait that exists in one of those weedy populations that would allow it to tolerate heavy soils a little bit better. So yeah, those are the types of things where, you know, I, I do think there's a lot of value in looking at those feral populations that still exist. Interesting. Okay. All right. So back to herbicides. We talked about that there are some some approved or an approved herbicide that that recently came online. So, um, I know that hemp is a bioaccumulator. So, are there considerations with that in using like a, an herbicide that it might you know kind of accumulate in the in the crop? Um. Yeah. And I I guess I I'm probably not the, the best to talk about herbicide tolerance levels, uh, so residues in crops. Um, I, I Yes, I, I do um, agree that hemp can be a bioaccumulator. Um, I guess the, the type of production that we're looking at, um, I'm really more interested in seeing fiber production. So in that case, um, anything right. that's bioaccumulated could actually be a benefit if you use it for remediation purposes. 
then uh, you could lock away those chemical compounds that the plant takes up in, in hempcrete, um, you know, into structures that are not going to be degraded and released in the future. So, so in that case, um, that could be mm. a, a benefit, uh, a beneficial characteristic of that crop plant. Interesting. But it would you need to be careful for other um, food-based commodity types, right? For seed and especially for floral uh, production. Yes, um, definitely. And I now I think too that there must be concerns also if you're growing near other crops that some of the herbicides that are maybe used on those crops could drift into your fields. Yeah, and and we have seen that a bit. Um, herbicide drift has has been a, a concern, especially in some geographies. Um, we see that uh, that hemp is sensitive to some of those herbicides, and uh, in some of the preliminary preliminary work that we've done, uh, we haven't he seen a huge yield impact when hemp is drifted upon by other herbicides. So again, that that does go back to the need to establish herbicide tolerances and safety levels on hemp, depending on what it's going to be used for in the future. And so given that, you know, hemp was was banned for so long until kind of the farm bill a few years ago kind of opened things up. And so how far behind are we in in researching, you know, uh, weed prevention in hemp? <laughs> well, um, <laughs> really far behind. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah so there's there's not really a lot known as far as hemp's competitive ability. Um, I'm working with a colleague here at SIU uh, to, to just set up some um, species by species competition studies, just to look at, you know, some of our most problematic weeds, uh, put them in different numbers, growing with different number of, of hemp plants in, in pots in the greenhouse, and just simply look at the impact of, of that competition at different densities on that target hemp plant. Uh, so it's just the, the things that, just a lot of things that we don't know. Um, in my mind, you could take pretty much any uh, publication that's been done in soybeans, you know, looking at weed control and probably redo that and it would be completely novel in hemp. Uh, so there, there's nothing but questions right now, uh, very few answers. And we do have two herbicides actually. So the, oh, the okay. yeah, ethylfluorolin <laughs> is the pre-emergence compound. And then there's a post-emergence compound, um, which is uh, Quizolifop or Assure2 is the trade name, but it's only a grass specific compound. Uh, so you can you can spray it across the top of the hemp plants and uh, and at least kill the grasses that would be competing, but it's not gonna impact the, the broadleaf plants that are growing and competing with the hemp. So, so it's a, but it's a, you know, it's something, right? It's a, it's a full herbicide program, a pre-emergence compound plus a post-emergence compound that, that growers are conceptually familiar with working with. And now are herbicides the best tool against weed control or are there other, other options? They're the most commonly used tool as uh, partly as a, as a um, result of the sheer number of acres that our, our farmers manage. Um, you know, if you go into organic production, for example, you're relying um, either on tillage to control the weeds up until a certain point until you can't till anymore without hurting the crop, or you're heavily reliant upon uh, cover crop species that would suppress the weeds. And uh, there is a potential to see cover crops used in hemp production. Um, I know there have been some pilot studies that have been conducted and uh, you know, the cover crop literature is well established that 
you know, you can suppress some of our most problematic weeds with a with a good uh, cover crop that accumulates enough biomass. Uh, and that's really the key is giving that cover crop the chance to accumulate the biomass it needs. And the cover crop's not going to compete with the hemp? Well, you would uh, you would terminate it uh, typically. Uh, the way that uh, cover crops are grown ahead of corn or soybeans, um, corn is a little bit more sensitive. So you terminate the cover crop typically um, before you plant the corn. Uh, soybeans are less sensitive and some growers are going into this, this program where they plant green, meaning that they don't kill the cover crop. They just plant the soybeans directly into it and let the soybeans emerge. And then they come back and kill the cover crop. And again, it's just going towards accumulating the biomass. Uh, there has to be enough biomass for that cover crop to suppress the weeds. So they're just trying to give the cover crop a little bit of extra time after planting. So something similar would have to be done with hemp where uh, you would kill the cover crop. And uh, and we have a, uh, a roller crimper planter where we can terminate the cover crop by basically mashing it down and creating a mat of residue and we'll plant the crop into that and clear spaces for the crop seeds to emerge. But then between the crop rows, we rely on the cover crop to suppress the weeds. Interesting. Um, so what other what other tools are available to kind of help control weeds? Yeah. So uh, again, going back to using hemp in a rotational strategy. Um, that was that's my, what I meant. To, that's what I meant to come back to. I'm, I'm glad you excellent. brought that up. Excellent. Well, I, I think there's a lot of potential because um, the, the work that we've uh, that we've done, that my lab has done, um, has shown that some of our, our, our driver weeds, the most problematic species, don't emerge well from hemp residue. So uh, there is a system in um, in management of other crops called chaff lining. And uh, you can think about a, a combine moving across the field and harvesting soybeans, for example. So the combine is collecting the soybean seed and then out the back of the combine, all the residue, the crop residue, the stems, uh, all the other material is being deposited back on the field. Hmm. Well, um, Australian farmers came up with this really neat system where they take the finest particles of that crop and they funnel it into a line in the back of the combine. And not only is it the, the finest particles of the crop, but it's also the weed seeds. So they deposit the weed seeds in this crop residue. It's this, this pile of biomass in a line. Um, and if you have precision planting technology, then you make those lines after every crop in the same place every year. So you're always putting your weed seeds back in a line in the field. And then, you know, the, the great thing is they're, they're going to be there so that you can do other management practices on top of that line. You've concentrated them. It's not that you're uh, preventing them from germinating so much, uh, but hemp, on the other hand, if you were to use hemp in a chaff lining strategy uh, and look at the biochemical properties of the hemp biomass, there might be the potential to suppress the germination of those weeds because of the the biochemistry of that crop plant does so so that's one thing that that my lab has conceptually looked at and a way that I think hemp could actually be um, a positive um, a, a driver in um, creating a more sustainable rotational system interesting so if, if I followed so, <laughs> so you're kind of having all the waste from from the previous harvest 
in these lines. And that includes the weeds and the seeds and everything. Um, and typically those weeds will germinate, but with hemp, they don't. So what we found in shaft lining systems in general, we had hoped that the seeds would decay more quickly because you're putting them in, in biomass where microbes are going to be working harder, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but we don't see them decaying. We actually see that that biomass protects the seeds and they can remain viable for longer. So that's not what we had hoped, but at least we can show that we're concentrating the seeds in one location. If we concentrate them in hemp biomass, then then yes, we do see a suppressive effect of the hemp mulch. Uh, I don't know how long it will last. It depends on you know the amount of rainfall and and microbial action. So rainfall and temperature would be major drivers of that. But um, but yeah, there's the potential to get a little bit of added benefit uh, from suppression of those uh, biochemicals found in hemp. Potentially. Interesting. So, so going back to crop rotation, would hemp be a, a, a good candidate crop to be rotating with your, your soybeans or your corn or, or things like that? Oh, I think it's still unknown. Um, so some of the corn herbicides may be a little bit hard on hemp if you rotate uh, from corn to hemp. Um, so that's uh, that's something that we've we've seen observationally, but um, I haven't really quantified. Um, so there can be some rotational issues potentially, but um, it goes back to, you know, if you really got the hemp established, you could get a really good uh, suppressive year where you didn't have a lot of weeds germinate. And that's a form of seed bank control, right? For these uh, summer annual plants that are problems, uh, that are weeds in our, in our corn and soybean systems, uh, their strategy is just to produce seeds, right? If a summer annual produces seeds, then it's, it's basically one uh, for that year. Uh, so we could possibly reduce seed production if we can get a suppressive stand of hemp. And then any seeds that are produced could be lined in a chaff lining system, potentially. Um, but there are a lot of uh, questions as far as rotational strategies. You know, um, I think it's unknown as far as the number of pathogens that the crops may share in rotation. And I'm not sure if we know which crop should follow which right now, you know, what the best uh, temporal rotation really is. So um, I know there are other people working on that. So hopefully, um, hopefully one day we'll have an answer. Excellent. Uh, what about mulching or plastic covering? Um, does that, does that help as well? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, that's one of the, the more uh, common ways that I see um, floral hemp produced in our local geography is with um, plastic mulch. Of course, that in itself can have some environmental sustainability implications, um, but any sort of material that could be mulched with, so even an organic mulch material that could suppress the weeds, that would be very helpful as well. Excellent. And in my research, I, I will confess I am not a cultivation expert, but uh, what is integrated weed management? So so that is, uh, that's the... Um, the focus of my lab, actually. Perfect. Uh, we, yes. Glad <laughs> we, I asked. <laughs> we do a lot of work with herbicide resistance, and uh, and I study herbicide efficacy and the way that we should use herbicides in our, our cropping systems to control weeds. But um, if you look at the evolution of herbicide resistance and the increasing cases, um, it's very clear that we're putting herbicides under a lot of pressure. Uh, so herbicide or weeds are evolving herbicide resistance 
uh, I mean, really faster than we can create new herbicides at this point. So integrated weed management is the idea that you, um, you should develop a more diversified strategy for weed control and you should put more pressures on the weeds besides just herbicides, right? It's the same thing with, uh, you know, um, microbial resistance to antibiotics. It's, it's the same type of selection that's happening. So if we can put in um, cover crops and, uh, and harvest weed seed control tactics like chaff lining, like I was mentioning, mm -hmm. um, you know, if we can build an ecologically um, robust system where we have uh, seed predators, you know, insects in the field that are eating seeds, uh, and we can, you know, capitalize more on some of these ecological interactions that are happening, um, then, then that integrated system, you can still use herbicides, but you're putting less pressure on the herbicides. And you're probably, um, at some point, you're beginning to slow the evolution of herbicide resistance. Right. Yeah, it seems like herbicides are really the, the short-term solution, but with really potentially severe long-term effects. Well, you know, and it's uh, it, it partly goes back to the need to be, um, you know, financially sustainable in the short term sure. and, um, you know, learning to manage other tactics, like learning to manage cover crops in the system. It's like in a way learning to manage a whole new crop. Right. So you're increasing the complexity of the system, whereas herbicides are a simplified strategy, but they're, um, they come with a prescription, you know, when to apply them, you know, what to apply and, uh, and you're relatively guaranteed to some degree a success um, if you do things in the right way. And when you start adding all of these other tactics in, then uh, some of the interactions become less predictable. And that means that the yields can be less predictable. And for a farmer who's maybe not as comfortable financially, it can be very difficult to take those risks. So, um, so there's a lot to the conversation as far as um, you know the adoption of more ecologically based practices. Um, it can be really risky for some people. Yeah, no, and that's a great point, and especially with hemp too. I think um, a lot of people got into hemp production, particularly for CBD, um, assuming that there is going to be this huge market for it, and then uh, there was kind of overproduction in the the prices really fell through the floor. So definitely a consideration. Yeah. And for our growers here locally, there there are a lot of folks that are interested in in growing fiber and um, and potentially seed yeah. crops. But, you know, the market is still not there to support them. So they can experiment on a small scale, but there's not going to be, a, you know, a lot of potential for that that return on investment right now. Yeah. No, I... It's definitely the case. And I mean, not to put you on the spot, and if, if you don't want to answer this, we can certainly cut it out. But <laughs> um, why do you think that other types or other commodities associated with hemp really haven't taken off yet? It really has been focused primarily on the cannabinoids. Yeah, you know, great question. Um, it's It seems like it's kind of a, a chicken and the egg type scenario, right? I mean, in order to have a market that's built around a commodity, you have to have the farmer that's gonna produce it. Well, in order for the farmer to produce it, that person has to have a place to sell it after they produce it. So it's, I think, more of a question of establishing some of these basic uh, market initiatives across a large scale, right? So you, if you're a processor, if you wanna establish a processing facility, 
that means, you know, two years ahead of your facility, you're already reaching out and contracting up to a thousand acres of production with local growers. And then you're working with them so that they understand how to grow the crop and you're providing some agronomic oversight while you're building your facility. And then everything comes online and then you have your growers contracted and you have your product coming in and then you just continue to build capacity after that. So it's it's not it's not just like building a facility and then it's it's good, right? You have to have a knowledgeable grower base to go along with that to for that to be successful. Got it. Well, that is a great answer. <laughs> so, all right. So winding down here, and you've you've touched on it already, but I want to give you another chance to to talk about. So, what's next? What what are you working on now, and what can we expect to see in the future? Yeah, so we're continuing to be part of uh, a large-scale cultivar trial where we're just planting different cultivars all across the U.S. in different geographies uh, to see what the um, you know uh, genetic by environmental impacts are for each cultivar. So ideally, uh, you know, I hope that we can identify some cultivars that do really well in Southern Illinois and kind of expand our, our grower options here. Um, so that's one of the things that we'll continue to do. And then uh, we're wrapping up our critical weed-free period and, uh, and um, management study that's funded by the USDA. So uh, within the next year, I hope to have all those data analyzed and, and published. So that's something to look for. And then uh, you'd mentioned cover crops. I hope to establish a couple of pilot cover crop studies just to see what that looks like, because we've never really um, experimented with planting hemp into cover crops, at least not yet. Excellent. That sounds great. Um, also, want to give you a chance to share any other resources um, that you think that the audience might be interested in if they're interested to learn more about weed control and hemp. Sure. Well, um, the resources are still being developed, so I hope that those will be shared more in the future. But uh, we do have a growing cannabis science center here at Southern Illinois University Carbondale. So there are some resources on the Cannabis Science Center webpage, and you can see what our diverse faculty group is, is doing uh, and how we're coming together to study cannabis. Excellent. All right, Carla. Well, this has been fun. Uh, it was a great conversation. Um, i ex excited to see you some more results of what you're working on and hopefully see you up on the, the CanMed stage real soon. That'd be great. Yeah, thanks so much. Thanks for having me today. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Dr. Carla Gage. Check out the links in the show description to learn more about the topics we discussed. And thanks again to this episode's sponsor, Rare Earth Genomics. Our next episode drops December 12th. That's two weeks from today. In the meantime, please do go to canmedevents.com now and sign up for CanMed24 at the early bird rate. That deadline for the early bird rate is December 1st. Also, I invite you to follow us on social media. We are on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Just search for CanMed Events. And lastly, please rate, review, and subscribe on whichever platform you use to watch or listen to the podcast. We really appreciate it. All right, that's it from us. Stay safe, stay healthy, and please do come back for the next CanMed Coffee Talk.